Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. So this morning... We're going to continue. We're going to finish up our look at role players uh, as we have been taking a look throughout this month of December at different characters in the Advent story, in the birth story of Jesus Christ. Thomas started us off in the first week talking about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, and how uh, it's amazing that this young teenage man uh, honored Uh, Mary so much and was so obedient to God and had a a wisdom and a discernment level beyond his years and he was honoring to Mary when it was culturally okay not to be. Uh, Then we looked at Elizabeth, uh, the the mother of John the Baptist, and we looked at how she received Mary and the announcement uh, during a time in her life where she could have been very selfish. She could have been very self-centered and tried to make the moment all about her. But she was encouraging and she connected with someone even when she may have been tempted not to be. We then looked at Herod and we talked about control issues that Herod had and the way that he seemed to only these these issues and these dysfunctions and these faults in his life only seemed to be amplified by the, the introduction of the Savior, of the Messiah coming, only seemed to intensify these control issues and these dysfunctions that he had. Then Thursday night at our Christmas Eve service, um, and, and, and I'm going to go ahead and give Kevin Beck um, due up front uh, because he was throwing a small tam- a temper tantrum on Christmas Eve night because I used his joke, and there was a pause of about two and a half seconds there before I could give him credit that, that he was about to get sideways on me. Okay, But Christmas Eve... During our um, you know, candlelight service, where we not only experienced COVID, but we experienced Snowvid also. Thank you, Kevin Beck. Um, we talked about the angels and their role and the look at peace during chaos and how angelic visitations in the Bible were always full of chaos to the point that they said they always introduced with, don't be afraid or do not fear. Uh, so we looked in, in about this peace that passes all understanding that the Messiah brings to us. And this morning we're going to kind of wrap this series up and we're going to be talking about Simeon. Uh, Simeon is a man in the gospel account, in the birth account, in Luke chapter 2, where we see about eight verses total to the story of Simeon. And the thing about Simeon is is there's not any detail given to us about his life beforehand. There wasn't anything given, any information given to us after this account. So we don't know exactly how old Simeon was. It's thought, it's believed that he was a little bit older. Uh, We do know that, uh, we don't know when he died. We don't know how soon after this account that we're going to read. We don't know how much, uh, how long he, he lived after this. But we, all, we know a few things about Simeon. We know that he was part of the remnant of Israel that remained faithful to looking for a Messiah. The majority of Israel, 
And the majority of God's people at this time had given up and they weren't really truly following God. They were following the laws, they were following the statutes, they were following all the commandments that the religious leaders of the day were laying out for them. But there was a remnant of people. And yes, the remnant can include Mary and Joseph. The remnant can include Zacharias and Elizabeth. The, this, this group of people were dutifully watching and eagerly seeking and longing and yearning for the Messiah to come. They were looking for God instead of just looking to keep laws. They were looking for a Savior instead of just looking to check off a box of a commandment that they had kept yet another day. They were longing for a relationship with God, not just a do's and don'ts, yes and no type of lifestyle with Him. So we see the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, and we will begin with verse 21. It says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray over the word this morning. God, thank you for this time in your word that we can worship you through the, the, the living word that you have given us. Father, I pray that you are pleased with what we're doing here this morning and that you will continue to be pleased and glorified. God, I pray for every heart, every ear, every mind to be open that's receiving this word this morning. And God, I would pray that you remove me. That God, let my words be yours. Holy Spirit, please speak through me. Give me voice, give me inspiration, and give me discernment as I divide rightly the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple things leading up to Simeon. Let's, let's look at this. Uh, like I said, Mary and Joseph would be included in that remnant uh, of Israel that were looking for a Messiah. Now, I'm going to answer an age-old question for you this morning. Rachel, are you ready? 
yeah, she's always ready, all right? She lives with me. So if you guys are ready, I'm getting ready to put to rest a debate that surfaces every Christmas season. And every Christmas season, people sing songs about this, okay? So I'm going to answer this question. Yes, Mary did know. Mary knew. Okay? Read the Gospels. She knew that the baby boy, yes, she knew. Okay? So that settled. We can, we can stop with that song now. She knew. But Mary and Joseph would be considered part of that faithful remnant that was looking, awaiting righteously for the Messiah. And we see that they, after eight days, they circumcised Jesus, which is a court. I wrote it down here in, uh, in my Bible. Forty days after, uh, that's out of Leviticus 12, 1 through 4. Now, I, I wanted to tell you that because I know that you are going to call me out on because Leviticus is such an intriguing read that I know that that's where all of you spend your time reading in Scripture is the book of Leviticus. Okay, But after eight days, that's when the law um, it demanded that the child be circumcised. Then it says that there was a 40-day purification period for Mary. And Mary and Joseph went into Jerusalem. Now understand something here. This was not an obligation for them. This is a going above and beyond. Jesus was out of the tribe of... Pardon? Judah? The, the line of Judah, Right? It was the Levites that were the ones that required to do the priesthood and the priestly duty. But for every firstborn, if they weren't going to be turned into the priestly line, then they had to give five shekels of silver. That's difficult to say. Five shekels of silver as a contribution to the priesthood. But they did not have to make this trip. So this is an above and beyond trip for Mary and Joseph. What I'm introducing to you here, what I'm suggesting, is that I believe Mary and Joseph were led by the Holy Spirit into Jerusalem for this moment. And I'll, tell, I'll, I'll articulate a bit, little bit more as to why here in a little bit. But they bring with them the offering that said that they brought a pair of turtle doves and a partridge, and, I mean, and two young or two young pigeons. Now, this was middle of the road offering here, because there was supposed to be a, a lamb, a ewe, a spotless kind of sacrifice that those who were capable of doing that. So basically, if you were well to do, if you had decent amount of money or land or possessions, that's what you offered. If you didn't have that, then you could either offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which gives us the indication that Mary and Joseph weren't necessarily in poverty, but they weren't wealthy either. And the reason I say we know they weren't in poverty, because there's a step lower than this even. The law says that if you don't, if you can't even afford the two birds, then you can bring flour that's removed of all of its spices, all of its fragrances, and all of its scents. You can just bring pure flour as an offering. So we see them coming to Jerusalem in what I believe to be a, a obedience to the unctioning of God's Holy Spirit in their life, because it wasn't a requirement. But then we're told that there was a man named Simeon. 
Simeon, we, I think that one of the things that this series has done that's been really good for all of us is we've talked about so many different human, you know, just, just the real people. You know, the Joseph, just a teenage guy, just a carpenter, you know, just a carpenter. And then we talk about Elizabeth, who is a wife of a priest. And then we see Herod, who, yes, was a king, but... <laughs> The dude wasn't right, man. And I think we all know some of those people, right? <laughs> At least Roy does. He knows me, right, Roy? All right, good deal. So we're talking about Simeon, who we're given no history of. We're not told anything after that. Simeon was a common name. There wasn't anything special about this guy. There wouldn't have been anything that anybody would have stopped and looked and went, whoa, that's Simeon. But yet, Luke, who never, he, he did not make one pin stroke by accident. Okay? There was not something that Luke started writing and went, well, probably shouldn't have said that. Luke was very meticulous with his writings. He's very historically accurate with his writings. And there is nothing in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, or the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, uh, which Really, if you're reading the Gospel of Luke, just once you finish that, go ahead and start reading Acts because it's like chapter 2 of the same book, you know, part 2 of the same book. But out of nowhere, Luke is led to tell us about Simeon. And here's a couple things that we know about Simeon from Scripture. It says that, they, that he was righteous and devout. Now that's really easy to kind of gloss over those two words and keep on reading, but they carry an, um, an incredible amount of weight with them. And I want us to look at those for just a few moments because again, Simeon, regular dude, regular guy. And Luke pins that he is righteous and devout. Now being declared righteous in Scripture is, isn't something that's written lightly. That means that you're not righteous in other people's sight. That doesn't mean that you're righteous in your own eyes. That means when you are declared righteous in God's Word, you have been declared righteous by God, which means that you are justified. Which God looks at you in that level of relationship that you're in with Him and goes, that man, that woman is innocent. Now, we talked about justification just a couple months ago about how Christ, our Redeemer, justifies us. Notice that this is being told of Simeon before Christ's arrival. That's indicative of his relationship with God. And I'm going to make this statement to you. I believe that Simeon was a far better man than even the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament, I believe that Simeon, was a better man overall than what the Apostle Paul was because Simeon was part of the remnant of Israel, which gives us an indication that from his birth to his death, he was dedicated to the Messiah. Paul was a Jew, but he was content on killing Christians. He missed the Messiah when the Messiah came. He was of the line that did not acknowledge Jesus. He was of the line that actually falsely accused and crucified Jesus. But yet Simeon, before the birth of the Messiah, was seen as justified, seen as innocent in his relationship with God. It also says that he's devout. 
And devout not only means that you're justified, but that means that you're sanctified also. That means that you're set apart. That means that you're walking uprightly with God. That it's not just a moment of justification. It's not just a moment of innocence and righteousness in your life. But he continued to walk that path in that relationship with God as he went. And there's also a couple other implications here. To be called righteous in the Bible would mean that you dealt rightly with your, your fellow man. With your family, with your friends, with your community, with your coworkers, with whomever you came into contact with. He was considered righteous, not only in the sight of God, but also because of the way that he treated other people. And then devout is a complete indication of how his relationship with God was. So whenever you see this passage from now on, don't gloss over the fact that Luke, that scripture, that the Holy Spirit is declaring Simeon was righteous and devout. And then it goes on to say, this, this gives us the definition of how I know that he was of that faithful remnant of Israel because it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's Jesus. He was waiting for that consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. I wonder how many of us because we, we have more, and, and, and this is going to be splitting hairs here and I don't have time to get into it, but we have more than the Holy Spirit being upon us. As believers in Jesus Christ, as repentant, baptized followers of Jesus Christ, it says that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not only upon us, but He's within us. I wonder if we have the same testimony as what Simeon had. Are you righteous? We may be righteous and justified in the sight of God through Jesus Christ, but my question becomes, are you righteous in your dealings, in your character, in your integrity, in your reputation with your family, with your friends? with your coworkers, how about those that you do business with? How about those that you, you encounter on the roadways? You know, one thing that as I was studying Simeon, one of the things that hopped out at me about him, and we're not told here, but how patient would Simeon have to have been? I mean, that he had been waiting his whole life and he had never given up. So I thought, you know, what are some of the areas that I'm really impatient in? Well, number one, I am incredibly impatient with people who are not prompt. And people who do not have a value of being on time, I am impatient with those type of people. And it has been known to happen in my subconscious that if... I am ready, and I am waiting on one or both of my girls to finish getting ready so that we can leave the house on time. I do this number. My wife will go, you're lurking. No, I'm not. Ben, you're pacing up and down the hallway. Well, 
sorry, nervous, want to get out of the house. And it just could be the fact that the bathroom that you're getting ready in is in the hallway and I may be going. So I'm kind of impatient with that. I, I reached out to a few others and just to say, hey, what are you impatient with? Um, Britt told me that he's impatient with slow drivers in the fast lane on the road. Yeah, yeah, we, we, got some, we got some people testifying out here now, okay. I was told by Mandy that she was impatient, and she went, because I teach middle school. <laughs> no story needed there, I understand that completely. But then, you know, and, and one of the staff members here, and I'm going to allow this to remain a mystery, one of our staff members actually is impatient with trying to get saran wrap out of the box properly to the place that this person may actually be known to throw the saran wrap. I'm not going to say any names or point any fingers, but Vicky is sitting in the back corner back here. That's right, little sweet, innocent Vicky throws saran wrap. WC, am I lying? Okay, all right, good. And finally, finally, here's one area that we're all impatient with pretty much as a staff. Um, I texted Thomas, and he went, huh, that's an interesting one. I will be sure to get back with you. We're all impatient awaiting Thomas's responses to text messages. But think about the patience that this man has, that he's dedicated his entire life to awaiting, to seeing the Messiah. He's got such a relationship with God that, that we see kind of a, a blip, if I can term it that, on kind of like the Holy Spirit's radar, to where there's such a sensitivity and such a relationship with God and, and His Spirit that the Spirit actually communicates. We're not told how. We don't know how uh, Simeon was communicated to uh, by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit told him that you will not die until you see the Messiah. So let's go back to this encounter in Jerusalem. It says that the Spirit led Simeon into Jerusalem at this time when Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus into the temple area. Again, they didn't have to. That's why I believe that this they were being uh, led by the Holy Spirit. Whether they realized it or not, I believe that they were being led by God to bring Jesus into the temple because they didn't have to. But at that exact time, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go into Jerusalem. And then, and, and see, and this is one of those, I, I've told you a couple times, I hope that there's some type of streaming service in heaven, although I'm not going to be concerned with that whatsoever whenever I see Jesus, but still in my mind, this is how it works. This is one of those scenes that I want to see. Because as we see, you know, verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought, the, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon in verse 28 says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So how did this happen? Simeon didn't know Mary and Joseph. There had to be babies everywhere. There, right? I mean, there had to be there had to be other options, right? And did Mary and Joseph know that Simeon was coming? This dude come running up, grabbing a baby out of your arms? I mean, kind of doing a Lion King you know, type thing with him? 
I mean, how did all this play out? That, that type of stuff fascinates me. But understand that no matter how it played out, that both sides were being led by the Spirit of God. And look at Simeon's statement here. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I mean, we could, we could spend weeks just, this is, this is song, the song of Simeon. We could take weeks pulling that apart, but look at it. He says that a light for the Gentile, or a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon, a devout Jew, a man who was part of the remnant of Israel understood before Jesus began talking about it that Jesus came not only for the Jew, but he came for the Gentile as well. You know how I told you a little bit earlier in this message that I believe that Herod's dysfunction and his control issues were only amplified by the arrival of the Messiah? I think the same thing happens in Simeon. Only, I think it's a polar opposite of what happened with Herod. You see, I believe that there is something that happens in each person's heart whenever the news, the gospel, the good news of the Messiah is introduced into a situation. Whenever someone becomes aware of Jesus in a situation, I believe that it either, it either amplifies the dysfunction in your life or you become like Simeon because his response, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. What was Simeon saying? Basically, Simeon was saying, there's nothing else now. I can die. I can die. I want to challenge your heart this morning. If you're here and you're a believer, at this very moment, do you have that same mindset of Simeon to where you can say, I've met the Savior. I've seen and encountered the Messiah. There's nothing else that even comes close. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, if I keep on living then that means that I get to talk about Christ. That means I get to share Christ. That means I get to experience Him more while I'm here on this earth. But man, if I die, I get to see Him face to face. So kind of do a little bit of inventory in your heart this morning. Which reaction to Christ are you having? Are you having the response of Herod to where your encounter with Christ is actually threatening your kingdom and is exposing your dysfunction and your control issues and you're trying to do everything you can to hold on to Him? Or are you taking the route of Simeon? It just says, what else? What more? What more? What else could I ever experience? I want to ask the worship team if they would to come back up with me this morning.
As I close, let's look at verse 35. Uh, this, um, this parenthetical part here that you see, if you, if you have your Bible out there, most of this, most of your Bibles will have this in parentheses. It says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This was Simeon addressing Mary in this song, talking about the agony and the pain that she would experience futuristically in losing a son, this Messiah. But then he says that so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Folks, make no mistake. If you're here in person, if you're watching at home or you're listening to this later, make no mistake. Your heart will be revealed. When you encounter the Messiah in this life, in the next, whatever, when you encounter Jesus Christ, your true heart will be revealed. There will not be any hiding it. There will be no hiding it any longer. You may hide it from everyone else. You may hide it from those closest to you. You may hide it from your church family. You may hide it from your natural family. You may hide it from everyone. But the Messiah will reveal your heart. And if it's like Herod, then it's not going to be good. So let's take this time that we have now, this opportunity that the Holy Spirit is making us aware that our hearts will be revealed. And let's, let's go into a little bit of introspection. And let's look at what is my encounter with the Savior exposing in my own heart. Am I Herod? Or am I Simeon? Or am I somewhere in between? And having some things to deal with because... As I ask myself the question this week, I don't know if it could be written about me that I was righteous and devout. And that needs to change in my heart.